welcome back to Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle. (laughs) And think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started Word Up to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my Locals platforms, where for as little as $5 a month, you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our High Vibe tribe, and lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, Word Up also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals and or Patreon. And as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum languaging coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books, find me on dannycats.com as well as on quantumlanguaging.com. Okay, I think that's it for our housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Hey, superstars, welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Today I am joined by artist, wise woman extraordinaire, Lauren Manticon. Lauren has been on the show before. In fact, she was on the show kind of recently and Lauren and I got together last weekend on the friend tip and she she's like, oh, there was this piece that I wanted to talk about that I think is really important. And she kind of laid it out for me about how censorship translates into us censoring our own thoughts and our own artistic expression. And I thought, 
this is super important. I don't want to wait to talk about this. So um, God bless Lauren for agreeing to come back on so quickly. This was such a juicy, inspired conversation. I trust that you will enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed engaging it with one another. Before we dive into today's episode, I am reminding you to click that subscribe button to like, to share, to comment. Also inviting you to sign up for my newsletter at dannykatz.com to ensure that regardless of whatever big tech fuckery happens or doesn't happen, that we can continue to stay in touch. Today's show, like all of my shows, is divided into two parts. The first half is free on all of the audio podcast platforms as well as on Locals and Odyssey. Um, as you've probably noticed, I am letting YouTube go aside from some occasional clips, um, too many strikes, too, too much thought policing there for me to feel really comfortable hosting my shows there. The second half is available for all my paid paying supporters on both locals and Patreon, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half conversations, plus oodles of bonus content, um, special discounts on courses, webinars, advance notice of fun things like book readings, live events, workshops, etc, etc. Super grateful for your support. This podcast is a labor of love. It is not yet monetized. I don't have advertisers. I'm not monetized on um, any of the video platforms because my freedom of speech is really of primary importance. So any little bit you feel like donating is super helpful. If you just wanna do a one-time donation by way of my Venmo, that is also an option. Um, you can find the link in the comment section or on my website, dannycats.com. Um, lastly, we have the holidays coming up. I have many Many awesome offerings that make for great gifts, including my brand new book, The Language of Betterarchy, which is available as a print book and ebook, as well as an audiobook. Also, Word Up, Little Languaging Hacks for Big Change, also a print book, an audiobook, and an ebook. There's my Pop Propaganda Illustrated Guide, which is appropriate for teens and grown-ups alike. There's my Yes I Am Transformational Coloring Book, and my Pop Propaganda digital course will be launching in January. It is appropriate for teens as well as grownups alike. So many, many options for fun holiday gifts if that's how you roll. That does it for housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy my conversation with the lovely Lauren Montecon. excited to have you back on because I know that after our last podcast where we started to delve into like how both of our creative processes were affected by the great pariah hood of 2020 <laughs> through 2023 you had some really interesting and I feel like very relevant slash timely perspectives on how censorship and language policing is affecting how we think, how we process, um, and how we express on all the levels. So I'd love to get into that with you. 
You know, sometimes we we all say dumb shit, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> it's it, and it's how we it's how really we contemplate how we correct ourselves, how we adjust ourselves through dialogue with each other. And it's also, you know, if we're in any kind of higher consciousness of wanting to evolve, we work and we think things out by talking. You know, we might hear something that we don't agree with. And if we are censoring ourselves and we don't say out loud, then how do we get to another another kind of higher consciousness place? And I was I was reading something from the Gene Keys, Richard Rudd, and he was talking about the key to higher consciousness is creativity, right? Not we can take in so much knowledge, but when we are in somatically in creative mode, that's how we start evolving. I mean, when we have to start beginning to censorship, watch exactly what we're saying and like, uh oh, that's not going to be politically politically correct, then our self thoughts in communication get completely shut down because we take in the information. So it's not just, okay, I have censorship of speech. You start beginning having censorship of your own thoughts. And, and once that begins, we can be alone in censoring ourselves. So how do we actually get the tentacles out there for creativity? I think that's probably like one of the most deleterious downsides of censorship is that we start to put guardrails around our own neurological processes. And so we're not even allowing ourselves to go places, even when we're alone in the confines of our own minds, like, oh, that's a no go place. Um, I'm curious to know, like, in your experience, have you witnessed yourself putting up any of those guardrails? Um, absolutely, unfortunately. I mean, I'm becoming much more aware of it. Um, if I have thoughts in a group, especially in my workshops, I've started noticing I'm censoring myself. I need to course correct this because I can't think properly. None of us can think properly when we are completely course correcting, have it be anything from politics and politics. I'm meaning that when it, when it crosses into the realm of spirituality and some ideas are pretty far out. And we have been, we have been um, cut off from our necks <laughs> and our bodies will always tell us we can feel it in our guts when we are um, not being true to ourselves. I was having dinner with a friend last night and we um, we joke all the time. We're like super playful with one another because we know the pureness of our hearts. And I watched him about to say something and then I watched him hold himself back, which I never want anyone to do around me. Like I am, I take responsibility for any triggers that may come. I do not want censorship imposed. 
And so I watched him swallow what he was going to say. And we were playing around. And I said, oh, you mean kike? And he started laughing because that's where he was going to go with it. And I'm like, don't do that. Like, don't censor yourself with me. Like, I'm not. And it was interesting because he, he wouldn't have done that a few years ago. Right. Yeah. But now we have this whole anti-Semitism nonsense. And we had like Congress get together and decide that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And it's like, who cares what you think or how you're defining anything? People are allowed to be anti-Semitic. People are allowed to be racist. People are allowed to be sexist. Like all of those things are legal. And if we're if we're imposing this like forced virtue on everyone, we're never actually going to allow people the space they need to authentically evolve out of those places because we all come to our beliefs I don't want to say all honestly because there's so much indoctrination right but it's like if we're taking away you know like even in this case of just being able to play among friends I was like I'm not having that like I want you to insult my gender my race anything in the context of joking that anywhere you want to go you can go with me please don't censor around me you know I've been I've been um assimilating an experience I had because I believe in absolute free speech. Absolutely. And I was having lunch with a friend and she said something that for me felt very anti-Semitic and I went off. I, and I was shocked that I went off and we were unable to have creative dialogue around it. So then of course I went into my own shame but I was able to catch myself. And I think we all need to do that. I mean, the, the most difficult place that we exist with each other is where we often have these opposing viewpoints and they need to exist together. And as a painter, this is where harmony is created. We call it the counterpoint. If, if you have a painting that's all just kind of washy-washy one color, and not some shape that is almost an argument with another shape that causes this tension. I mean, musical compositions are created the same way. So zombie formalism has now been created in the art world where it's just hitting the surface. We're not going any deeper. We're not, we're not making, I mean, my paintings aren't political and I've talked about this before, but they do have a spiritual realm to it. I mean, I can remember years ago, this was many years ago, I was talking, um, I was I was doing a conference and I was talking about the my own work and I was talking all about spirituality and how I saw orbs and these orbs were starting to now show up on digital cameras and they were spirits. And when I was done, a woman came up to me and she goes, don't ever do that again. And I went, excuse me? She goes, oh, it makes you look really ditzy. And I do remember saying to her, and I go, someday it won't. And I'll keep doing it till that time comes. It's so interesting. So she was so, like nudging you towards artifice because she was projecting her own discomfort and her own judgments. That's correct. Right, right. I'm curious to know regarding the situation with your friend and whatever it was she said, like what, what was triggered in you and what I was so triggered. It was like, it was a blanket statement. All 
Jews, her words, all Jews are blank. Right. And I dishonest. (laughs) Let me obnoxious. obnoxious. And I and I don't know what it was. I was like, oh, because I've always thought of her as a mentor, somebody I could talk about spirituality with, astrology with, that that um I was just shocked to hear it. And I I shamed her. I I don't know. It just, I was shaking and I shamed her. And I thought, God, you know, she's afterwards. She should be allowed to have her own thoughts. And we could have had a really good dialogue instead of asking her to be a part of the sheep echo chamber that we are, where we all seem to be living in, you know, the lack of our sovereignty of just who we are. We're putting them into the hands of the so-called powers that be. And I had to ask myself, am I doing the same thing right here and right now? What do you think it was in you that had you lashing out or taking it into conflict? You know, I think really what it was is, is I remember I was in a long-term relationship and the family were always saying disparaging things about the uh, Jewish culture, if you will. And it really upset me. And then years later, flash forward, my my last partner was Jewish and I always wanted to be Jewish when I was young. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in California and I was surrounded by a culture that I just I just resonated with. So it was almost like I took offense as if I was Jewish and she was saying it to me. <laughs> It's so interesting because we all have these literal vulnerabilities, right? And there's also truth to stereotypes. Like you were with me, you witnessed me when I got called in on being cheap, right? And just not being willing to invest a lot of money into a new wallet. And instead like, oh no, like I get everything used on eBay for cheap because I'm a Jew, right? And then this other woman was like, no, that's a story. You don't have to do that. And that was interesting for me to see where I was living this stereotype. And it is a growth edge for me to get out of that. You know, like there there is a truth to these stereotypes. And I just feel like it would be helpful if we were given the grace and the spaciousness to just speak freely about them. You know, I I get those, I understand that reaction around hearing people who we've respected homogenizing entire groups and it's such, it's so disappointing. It's like at two, right? Yeah. But I feel like where we're really authentically at as a culture is to allow people to be where they are, as long as they're not, you know, doing harm. Well, throughout the, throughout the centuries, there's always been a form of censorship with art, especially when it comes to political agendas and wars. Um, but right now we're living in a time where, the, as you know, the divide is so deep and there's the right way to be and the wrong way to be. So if I am on here and I actually said to somebody, or well, it happened in one of my workshops, there was a painting. And oftentimes when we're talking about the paintings, 
I will say, don't say what you see in the painting because you'll never unsee it. The artist will never unsee it. And especially if they're in the beginning process. And somebody had said, oh, that to the artist, that looks like Trump. And everybody's like, oh God, that's so evil. This is, this is just the worst thing. And the artist is like, I've got to change the whole painting. And I, I thought, what a wonderful opportunity to talk about, well, what is it about Trump that bothers you so much? Well, you know, he's a bigot and he's a liar and he's this and he's that. And I, and I guess, you know, in that hindsight, in my beautiful imagination would say, well, can you point up out sometimes he actually really said that? You know, mainstream media on both sides is going to give you their um, subliminal messaging. And as artists, we're the ones that are supposed to catch the subliminal messaging and dive deeper into our research to find out what's really going on. I believe that's the work of the artist, any creative, right? And that I, I guess what I'm doing is that was a moment of being shut down. Like I didn't, I didn't pursue it further. Like what a beautiful opportunity, you know, this is, this is looking like somebody that you all are agreeing is the evil devil of the world. Let's talk about what evilness really is. And it's such a perfect example because it's kind of like the inversion of the politically correctness that like everyone's entrained to say only negative things. Not everyone, of course, but like the dominant media narrative is Trump is 100 percent negative. There's no nuance. Right. And aren't we supposed to be living in nuance? So we have now censored our own thinking so now we're in a box of creating because we've, we're censoring our thoughts before it comes out loud. You know, basically the example is everyone's going to go into agreement. Oh yes. That Trump is, is a bigot and a liar and, uh, and a Jew hater because you never went any further. We don't, a lot of artists are, I'm seeing not going any further because it's too dangerous for them. We well, all want to be loved and liked, but you know, not everybody. Not but. the artist's role. I feel, I feel like the artist's role is to challenge society, to hold a mirror up and to invite us to consider things that we might not have yeah. considered before. And that's where I'm bummed seeing it seep its way into art, screenwriting, um, Tell, like all of the things, right? Because you talked about tension early on. We need that tension in our stories, right? But now there's this like this one way of thinking about everything. And I'm cure like I'm concerned about how it's gonna shape our culture and our people. You know, like I'm very concerned about these younger people who are convinced that gender is an opinion. Well, exactly. And, you know, once you start that kind of control of gender being an opinion, once you control the thought of the censorship, we can never return. You know, the more we give control up and these thoughts up and they become the new narrative, how do you go back from that? Exactly. And to this end, it's like, I feel a responsibility to keep 
political incorrectness alive so that it remains acceptable in our culture. So a lot of times I'll blurt things out that I don't believe, but just to keep keep the, the practice of offensive thoughts circulating in our culture alive, because I think we need them. You know, I used to do this with like, you know, back in the day, old men, you'd cut him off, he'd shake his fist at you through the rear view mirror. That gesture is dying out, right? So I'm like, oh, I got to keep this gesture alive. But the same goes, you know, like I've taken on the practice of using the word tits to mean something good. <laughs> now there's an aspect of that that's super yeah. offensive, but we need to keep that shit alive in our discourse or it's going to be overly sanitized and more fake and dangerous than ever. Um, I think we just always need to keep screaming freedom, freedom. You, you, you want the freedom to be able to say and make and paint and write what you want, because someday if we've given the control over, you're going to say something that is not agreed upon, but your freedoms have already been taken away. That is, you know, the diversive viewpoints. Agree. The biggest concern of humankind right now. You know, I'm completely with you. I'm so with you on that. And seeing everyone get bunged up about distraction of the week, you know, for the past few years, whatever the distraction is, I'm like, why are you not this concerned about what's happening to the First Amendment here? Because if we lose that, then we lose everything. Why do you think people are, you know, aren't screaming and 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 stomping their feet about the first amendment. Do you think it's because of a, um, a dialogue and a new narrative of get rid of our, our constitution? I think that it has led into that, but I think it started, my sense is that it was self-preservation around all the woke stuff. Cause I noticed it as a journalist when my white male editors started to tell me that I couldn't say certain things. And I did have one of those editors tell me straight up. He's like, this is self-preservation. In this culture, I am a white man. I can't allow you to go there. So I think it's cowardice. And I also think it's people losing the ability to really think and think through the repercussions of what they're signing on to right now. Well, that, that, yeah, that goes full circle. The discernment that we're able to do with our own selves is just going to get shut down our create and that's creativity. And then it's going to get dried up and we won't be able to discern anymore. It's really scary. And I, you know, like I saw Matt Taibbi interviewed on, um, do dissidents just this week. And I, like a lot of what Matt Taibbi has to say, and I like his perspectives, but he was pressed to the wall during one of these congressional hearings that he's been playing with. And he said, I never said I'm a free speech absolutist and no one is a free speech absolutist. And uh, my heart sunk. Wow. It was so devastating to me. I was like, wow, you're even too cowardly to own the, because I, think he probably is, but I also feel like the phrase free speech absolutist has been itself demonized and weaponized. And I'm like, if he's not going to claim to be a free speech absolutist, I don't know what hope we have because he knows more than anyone what's going on and what's on the line. You know, I once heard um, Elon Musk talk about 
why he wanted to kind of corner the AI market, that Silicon Valley is doing the writing of what is going on with AI. And that if people are going to lean on that more, that's going to have a leaning viewpoint, right? And I see more and more people. I mean, you're a writer. And I mean, I just see it in my mentor practice where artists, when I, when I help them write their artist statement or their bio, especially the artist statement with the what, why, and how, they'll, they're even saying to me, well, you know, I used AI and I, my statement now is, yeah, it shows. <laughs> I love that you say that. I, I've had so many people send me like links or videos about this AI tool, this AI tool. And I'm like, it is so offensive to me on every level. I don't care how much easier it might make my life as a writer, hard no. And they're using that like years ago, I heard Tristan Harris in an interview with Brett Weinstein and they were saying, well, we can't have free speech because AI doesn't understand nuance or intonation. And so in service to AI, we have to have limits on speech. And I was just like, huh. aren't you ashamed of yourself? Like, how can you say that? Right. Well, I'm gonna keep saying it once again, you're gonna get cattled in and you're, you, you won't be able to write a sentence. So I watch myself do it and I'm a little bit, I don't feel good about this, but this is where I did it to myself. Um, you know, I do hop keto and I, I'd missed a, a night of hop keto because I was in Phoenix speaking at the health freedom con conference. And, um, you know, I was stretching out before class and some other people I did hop keto with were asking me where I had been. And I said, I was speaking at a conference and this new man had started doing Hapkido with us who wears a dress like a mini dress and he presents himself like whatever that kind of femme thing is um and I watched myself making assumptions based on how he was presenting himself and he said oh what kind of conference were you speaking at and I was like oh I can't say health freedom because he's probably against health freedom and I made all these leaps and assumptions in my head and then I was like, I stammered and I was like, oh, uh, freedom. And then I watched his face fall because he watched me be inauthentic. Right. And it I was, you know, I'm sure he thought it was like a white supremacist something, or I don't know. And I just like, I censored myself for fear of what he was gonna think based on how he was presenting instead of just being honest and letting the chips fall where they may. What kind of tools do you think we can give each other and even the audience when that, when that presents itself? Because the trick, not trick, but the heart opening is to experience the fear and do it anyway, which cognitively we all get it, but on a somatic level and then, then, you know, using our, our speech, you know, I tend to fumble words. So I, that's that for me, that's one reason that I sometimes don't walk into those waters. And then I feel like I don't know enough to be talking about this because it's not coming out right, even though I have it all there, but I need to practice more. And so what do you, what do you think we could do to, to um, help alleviate that and to gently walk into 
opening this up more? It's such a great question. And I feel like there's that gene key and you might have this key. I'm not remembering, but it goes from arrogance to naturalness to being. Um, 52 to 53. Maybe. Well, 53 is the super abundance. Yes. Yeah. Or the other way around. Um, I, I, yeah. Say the word to Dan, though, so I don't get tripped up on And I might be remembering incorrectly, so if I'm getting it wrong, my apologies. But I think it goes from arrogance to um, naturalness to the city of being. And whenever I'm, like, doing a reading for someone with this key, the way I see that key and experience that key is, like, there's the arrogance of thinking we know how others are going to think we know what they can handle we know what they can't handle so i'm going to strategize in my head and kind of bend my truth because i think this is all the person can handle and when i look back at that situation i wish i'd been authentic and just a rooted myself in the pureness of my heart and b rooted myself in the pureness of his heart and trusted that he would be able to handle whatever I said instead of thinking that he couldn't. You know, so I think there's a grace and there's the extending of us trusting that we have good intentions, us trusting that we're gonna see the best of one another. We can pivot if that doesn't happen. But like, even with my friend last night, like he was self-censoring because he thought I wasn't gonna be able to handle it. So we're all selling each other short by assuming that we're all emotional retards who can't That's handle right. emotional retards and, and ping ponging back and forth in this superficial shallowness. Yes. And I guess we could, I guess what we could do is take those three deep breaths. I love the word, like, where is my arrogance in this to think that they can't handle that? How can I talk because I can get my blood going right you know when you're hearing something and you know something different or your own opinion anyway it doesn't mean you know but opinions matter because that's how we work things out so those three deep breaths checking in with ourselves and kind of saying it anyway in the most loving way we can and that's once again you know hindsight it's in the moment when you get worked up or I get worked up, it's not always that easy. I mean, the moment in, with my friend, I was shaking, right? Like literally I was like, oh my God, I'm so mad I'm shaking. <laughs> Where what I wish I would have done, and this might be something for everybody when something like that happens. Oh, okay. Could you tell me more? Could you tell me more? What do you mean by all Jews are boom? Because I'd like to know, because I might have a different opinion. So how do we all just get a little more mm, feminine yummy? (laughs) Well, and I think another piece of that, what I got from that is that acceptance, right? It's like, um, people say things and there's our intolerance for their perspective versus that curiosity of like, okay, that's interesting. I didn't expect to hear that from you. I'd love to know what in your experience has led you to this, right? Cause I think there's something about um, letting people feel safe to think whatever they want, even if it offends us. 
Well, we don't want to be wrong a lot. You know, we don't, I guess it's more of a willingness. If I don't agree with you and you don't agree with me, and we're both in our stance of holding our opinions, that means I can't be wrong. I mean, where do we start allowing for all of us to be wrong? And, and that's the only way to open it up and think a different way. We're making a painting and we want to play it safe. I don't, I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> it, it's scary that because I know that years ago there was that Black Mirror episode where everyone was just like trying to be on their best behavior all the time and how quickly that has come to pass. But I think it's more dangerous because if we're per, all pretending that we don't have the intolerance, the bigotry, this, you know, holding certain stereotypes that we have, then we don't really know what we're dealing with, which I think is way more dangerous. Which, which part is way more dangerous? Not knowing what we're... What... Like, I have... Okay, so here's what I'm thinking of. I have a friend who has been prone to saying very misogynistic things throughout our entire friendship. I appreciate that he says those things because I know exactly where he stands. I, if it, he, I trust him because he's honest about thinking that women are slutty, gold digging, whatever they are. And I also don't get offended ever because I know that whatever he's dealing with has nothing to do with me. And what I've noticed in our, you know, several year friendship at this point is I've never judged him. I've never come down on him. I hold space for him to say whatever he wants. And he came to me about a year ago and said, I just want you to know that it's been incredibly healing. Your acceptance of me in my totality mm -hmm. has been one of the most healing things in my life. And, and I, I didn't have an agenda. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be tolerant so he can heal this. No, of course not. Um, but I feel like Look, you and I grew up in Southern California. So my guess is we didn't like I did not grow up with that kind of racism, you know, homophobia. I didn't have any of that in my upbringing. Right. So when I hear right. about it in the world, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's not my reality, but I know it exists. But if we sweep it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist with artifice, then it isn't really going to heal. It's always going to be there and it's going to fester and rot and get worse. Yeah, that's like thinking evil's out there, not in me. But if we're all mirrors of each other, then of course it's in us. Because that's all we're doing here as we're trying to evolve and ascend is to heal those wounds so we can have a, a higher consciousness. And the only way to begin with that is to start exactly with what is going on right in front of us in our communities, in our world. I remember I did say that to someone once. Um, it was, we're all racist somewhere. I mean, you say you weren't, you didn't grow up racist, but the racism lives in our DNA, even if it's not in our cognitive reality, is what I'm getting at. How so? Our day by day cognitive reality. Well, we are the world. The world is us. We are not separate. So the anger and the hatred and the wars somewhere, because we are on planet Earth right now at this time, means we're healing that because it exists in us. Yeah. Do you feel like 
I understand that conceptually, but do you feel like there are parts of you that are racist? There are parts of you that are homophobic. What, what comes up for me is when I was young, I remember one story. We, my mom, I'll never forget this. I must've been about seven. And my mom came home. We were living in Miami, Florida at the time. And she said, I had my purse stolen. I was at a stop sign and a big black hand came in with the open window and stole my purse. And my mom was always talking about how she feared black people. And I can, I have experienced going through life. I don't, I don't, I don't fear black people. I, I, I have friends that are black. You know what I mean? And but somewhere inside myself as I'm healing old childhood wounds, I can feel it come up. And I have to say, that is not mine. That is my mother. And that probably wasn't even mother, her, my mother, it was her mother. And that's what I mean about DNA. Yes. That somewhere it might still exist if we don't keep practicing our, our internal healing self-awareness. And there are many people that are walking around that are not willing to do self-awareness. I'm, I'm seeing that. Like, I don't think that way. I'm not homophobic. I'm not transphobic, but they use, these are key words. They use words and they don't mean anything. Or you are transphobic because you're a mother who's opposed to your daughter, who's 12 and going to decide for herself that she wants an operation to change her gender. That's not transphobia. <laughs> That's spin. That's spin. I had this exact conversation with a, a client of mine the other day where he was like, have you heard about these Patriot moms trying to ban books because they're anti LGBTQ? And I've had many it's interesting because I feel like we're all learning to navigate the space. So I've had, you know, differences of opinion with him before and le just learning different tacks. And I was like, where did you hear that? Like, where did you get that information? And then he was like, oh, it was on the news, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not true. That's actually not what's happening. Like, that's a spin that they put on it. But I can guarantee you those people don't have a beef with with LGBTQ and they're not identifying as anti, they're not putting energy into some oppositional positioning around this. They're concerned about their kids being exposed to things before the kids are old enough to be ready. You know, it would be a great art project to see somebody curate a show where they actually had the mothers that think they're banning one kind of book, books, and the mothers that think they're banning another kind of books, you know, the sexual indoctrination in the schools and the other ones like, give me an example off the top of my head. I can't think of one. Um, well, anything if, about Christianity or um, creationism, like. And bringing them in one show together. And I mean, I'm just kind of thinking out loud to have two opposing views and start doing art shows around that instead of just one kind of view, it would take a call out to artists everywhere and bringing people together. And I don't know, just saying that out loud, would one worry about that it's just too dividing? Well, how does a dialogue start? Got to. 
Well, I actually just pitched this, but it reminds me of that art show that you and I went to where I'm just like, why is this so one-sided? Like, where are the other opinions on these walls so we can have a dialogue? Why do we all have to be homogenized sycophants thinking the same thing? Because the, the well, the art world, once you, when you start going up the ladder and getting away from zombie formalism, you know, work that all kind of looks the same and, and start having ideas it's run by the same kind of people that run Hollywood. I think it also speaks to the narcissism of most <laughs> people of like, I only want to put art on my wall that reflects the ideas that I align that with. I have. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. That's I see that. To me. I see that over and over. And that's what I was saying the last time we were talking. I am so shocked to see my artists become cowards. And I got to And there's a, here's an example of that shadow mirror. When I say that out loud, I've got to start with myself. How have I been a coward? And from there, even if it's baby steps, at least I'm aware and I can just practice saying a little more each time. This is really resonating. So I'm just going to bookmark it for one second because I did. I just want to finish the other thought that I pitched a series called Tough Talks to Creative Santa Fe. And I'm like, the only rule is that they read my book. And then we curate people with different perspectives and we have some really tough conversations, but we follow these parameters of respect um, and see where we can get to like a real deal Venn diagram of humanity and crossover as Santa Fe, Santa Feans. Yeah. Right. Santa and just live into what we really want for this place and get over these perceived differences. And the, the initial pushback, pushback that I received was, well, I don't know where we're going to get people with different ideas. And I'm like, well, you're going to need to go outside of your your community into other people in our community because they're here. The people that you look down upon and think are okay. stupider than you have to be invited to the table. That's correct. That's right. That's right. And in, in many ways, both sides think the other side is, is stupid. But all I'm asking is people to think a little more and go beyond what, if, if we could all just kind of get on board that subliminal, subliminal messaging happens and has been happening. And if we could all get on board to just get away from the mainstream bullet points. And, and even if it comes to a different opinion, but at least that's a start. It's totally a start. And I feel like, I mean, I want to come back to the art piece because I think that's so, so important, but you know, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and doing this now. Like I'm having dinner tonight with someone who I've heard bash Trump many, many times you know, and is on the kind of like consensus reality train. And I've had these conversations with myself of like, why does this have to be a problem? Like, why do I need to make this a barrier to friendship? I'm like, you and I both live in Santa Fe. Like, I'm tired of being on the outskirts as a pariah. This is a creative town and I want to play and I want to collaborate. I want to co-create and I want to have an impact. And I don't want to let this stupid shit be a problem. So for me, like this is my new edge of like, I haven't mentioned that I don't hate Trump. I also don't love Trump. Like I'm not really on that bandwagon because I'm like, does it matter? He's told me his opinion. I don't need to smear my opinion. But then there are times where I'm like, well, am I hiding something? Am I, you know, like, am I being deceptive? 
I don't really want to talk about this anyway. You know, like, it's just like, I'm looking at where I can move past this perceived divide in my own lived experience yeah. because it's dumb and I'm over it. Right. Right. So what do you, how do you think you could go into this dinner tonight with just something of a change perception, just like putting the lens on a different lens, like, like as a practice? Well, this person, and I'm not like, I'm not interested romantically, but he's no. exceptionally creative as an artist. So I'm, what I'm really intrigued is his art, his creativity. I'm also really looking at where's our, where can we collaborate and co-create together? So, you know, the couple times we've hung out when policies has come up, I just don't take the bait because I'm not interested. And I just kind of steer it back to art. But it might be to the point where I might have to say something. Well, I don't know. It's also hard for me because I'm a centrist, right? So I'm not Republican and I'm not right. Democrat and I'm not, not pro-Trump right. and I'm not anti-Trump. Right. right. Yeah. So, and I know how that spins people out and it can take up a lot of airspace in the conversation when that is inserted, when I don't really care. Yeah, it keeps us in that shallowism. I guess, you know, I while you were talking, I had this one image. It'd be interesting to see an installation walls where they were just blanket statements uh, from both sides, you know, politics. And then someone in the middle, they're they're invited to write out on the wall, how do you meet in the middle? <laughs> I love this. Can we do just, this? Yes, I just, I was thinking that, wouldn't that be great? It's like all like printed out on two walls, blanket statements, and then middle. It'd be cool Let's to- Let's do that, Danny. <laughs> Can we do that? Because it'd be so cool to invite the public to like yes. write your blanket, like please. That's right, yes. <laughs> I love that idea. for <laughs> clicking that subscribe button, for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews, as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through a really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging, coaching, and consulting, you can find me at dannycats.com as well as quantumlanguaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation, you can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at dannycats at pm.me or by way of Venmo where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work 
with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rockin' day. See you next time, superstars.